You have one unheard message. Hi, I was calling Current, the influencer marketing platform, but I think I just got redirected to a bunch of people listening to a podcast. Well, anyways, I was calling Current because I was told they could help get my brand set up on TikTok Shop and even build out an affiliate program of content creators promoting my brand and even have those content creators go on live streams and promote my product there. Wow, I could really use Current. I also heard that the brands they work with are making millions in sales. I guess I'll just go to their website at current.tech. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This program is a paid commercial announcement and in no way represents the views of WPHT or its management. This is Women to Watch. To rise above all of the noise and fulfill every last one of your dreams. Women to Watch, sharing the real stories of the most accomplished women in the world. It is for those frightened children who want peace. It is for those voiceless children who want change. Be inspired by women from across the globe who are encouraging more women to pursue their dreams. True philanthropy comes from living from the heart of yourself and giving what you have been given. Now, Women to Watch. Here's your host, Sue Rocco. Good evening, everyone, and thank you so much for joining me for another week of Women to Watch here on Talk Radio 1210 WPHT. I hope everyone had a wonderful holiday and uh, a wonderful new year as we head into 2020. It's hard to believe. Joining me this evening is Delphine O'Rourke, and Delphine is a partner with Dwayne Morris here in Philadelphia, and she's going to be with me in just a moment. Uh, Be sure to stay with us, as always, as we go into our breaks to hear from our exclusive watch team of on-air contributors from Jefferson University Hospital, Tivity Health, Pathways Consulting, and Fortist Wealth, bringing you all kinds of valuable information around your health, finance, technology, and leadership. And be sure to visit our website at womentowatch.net to see our amazing lineup of guests. Uh, We have scheduled through uh, May, I believe, right now. Sign up for our newsletter, and if you're social, follow us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and LinkedIn. We love hearing from our listeners. So now I'd like to welcome to the show Delphine. Again, Delphine O'Rourke is partner at Dwayne Morris here in Philadelphia. Thanks so much for coming in. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure. Uh, I want to talk first about your background. And you have a very interesting um, beginning, I'll say, because you kind of have a dual, uh, I'll say citizenship, right? Correct. Um, You were born in Massachusetts, but you moved to Paris when you were three. First, I guess I want to ask why the move, what took your family there, and what are your um, most vivid memories of those years as a child living in Paris? Sure. So my mother's French and my father's American. He's from Connecticut. And they actually met in Greece. My father was living in Italy 
And um, they met on vacation in Greece and they were living in Paris. And then he was working for Raytheon outside of Boston. And they just came back for a couple months. And I you know, happened to be born outside of Boston, in Concord, Massachusetts. And then when I was three weeks old, we moved back to Paris. And my father was working for Raytheon in Paris. And we lived there until I was five. Um, and then we would go back every summer uh, for the entire summer. And then moved back again, um, this time to the south of France in Aix-en-Provence when I was a sophomore in high school. Wow. Um, That's a beautiful part of it's beautiful. France, right? The south of France. Beautiful. So much history, so much art, um, great food, great drink, great wine, a beautiful place to visit and live. Um, so as far as memory, you know, um, Paris is, I don't know if people always appreciate this, a very kid-friendly city. And, you know, we go regularly with our boys and it's just not only what there is to do, but people are very embracing of having children out to dinner, just, um, you know, not necessarily just staying home with the babysitter, but being really incorporated. Taking them everywhere yeah, they go. Yeah. yeah. And um, and my sister's five years younger than than I am. So she wasn't born yet. So I really have these memories of, you know, going to the gardens in, in Paris with my mom and watching you know, puppet shows. And it was just, it's a you know beautiful place to grow up. And again, really child friendly. So it was, and I, you know, as a result, I learned how to speak French before I learned how to speak English, um, which made learning French a lot easier. Right. Which we can talk about later, but yeah. yeah. <laughs> so it was, it was really, it was really great. You know, you have two boys. Do you speak French to them? Ah, uh, so that is, that is my great guilt. Oh. Um, so <laughs> I speak French. My sister speaks French. I, you know, generally only speak to my mom in French, although she speaks English and, and lives, you know, in Manhattan, has been here for years. Um, our boys, I speak some but I don't speak exclusively to yeah. them. It's okay. Um, it's okay. Uh, you know, so, and that's you're a, a busy woman. You're not home yeah, a lot. Yeah. But it's more of, I think you need to commit to it and mm. say, I'm only going to speak to them in, in French. And, you know, I think the French, like other, other groups, one of the first questions they ask is, you know, when people hear my name, other French people will say, are you French? Yes. Do you speak? Mm. And that's that's important. And then I get the follow up question: Do your children speak? So, well, will they take it in school? Because oh yeah, and they're, they're tutored now, yeah. and and you know, and they go to France. Um, but they haven't had the benefit that I had of you know learning how to speak French with with my family, with my grandparents, being in school and preschool where it wasn't an effort. Right. You know, you just learn it. Yeah. Yeah. So. You know, there's a completely different culture in France sure. from the U.S. And I was wondering, when I think about women in particular, um, how does your international experience, so the ability to go back and forth, shape at all your confidence, um, whether it's personal or professional? Oh, that's, a, that's a great question. Um, I think as a child, you know, very comfortable in France because I didn't really feel I was an other, I think... There was a time when we first moved to the U.S. and, you know, being different, at least where we were living, um, really wasn't it wasn't a positive. Right. So speaking another language wasn't a positive. Um, I struggled to spell and the teachers would say, well, that's because you speak French. You know, it was seen as a real. They would say it like that. <laughs> yeah. No, it was a it was a real negative. Anything, mm. you know, any challenges I had at school were also sort of blamed on. Well, that's because you speak French at home, like a real, you know. And this was, you know, a nice suburb outside of Boston in the 70s, but it wasn't seen as a positive. Um, so I went through that period, which I see with like our nephew is half Thai 
and he's going through that right now, of wanting to be like everybody else. And mm-hmm. I think a lot of people Kids go through do. that, right? Yeah. I don't want to, I don't want to, I'll speak French at home, but I want to be like everybody else. And after going through that, then I was like, you know what? This is actually a cool thing. And it gives me opportunities that others don't have because yes. I speak French. Um, and, you know, and I think it's more than speaking another language. It's knowing that there's so many different ways to approach, you know, you name it. Um, my parents were huge travelers, so we traveled a lot. And that also added to, you know, there are so many different ways to celebrate. There are different ways to just express one word. There are so many different cultures. Um, and I think that eventually gave me a lot of self-confidence because it was different than in a positive way mm-hmm. where, you know, I went to South Korea. I was 16, you know, for the entire summer. And I was like, I can do this. You know, that gave me great confidence. And then it became a door opener. Right. In a lot of different ways. But I definitely went through that time period where I was like, I want to be like everybody else. Yeah. Yeah. One of the things you shared with me prior to the show was um, as a young girl, um, when you had to present in a classroom or or any time, something came over you physically that that was apparent and it was a struggle for you something you took into your adult years but now um i i love how you have chosen to get over that and i wonder if you can share it with our listeners particularly women or anyone this is such a major uh fear public speaking um and so i wonder if you could just share that you know with the listeners how uh, what it was and how you've managed to get past it mm-hmm. And, you know, it's like one of many struggles, you know, we go through and I think, you know, a lot of us do, or at least I do, is there are a lot of areas where I have struggled. And then for me, the question becomes, do you just struggle and you realize, okay, I'm not going to do anything about it? Or how do you overcome it? And there are certain things you can't overcome, but I think there, you know, I believe that there are few. Um, But how do you overcome things? So the example that, um, because those struggles sometimes keep you back. And there's certain struggles you just, you know, it is what it is. You're born that way. But there are other struggles where I'm like, okay, if I can do something about it. So what you're referring to is as a child, um, if. You know what? Let's hold that thought. We're going to go into our first break. And when we come back, we'll we'll share that story. Stay with us for Dawn Zier of Nutrisystem for our CEO Watch. We'll be right back. Now, the women to watch. CEO Watch. Hi, everyone. I'm Dawn Zier, here with today's CEO Watch. Today, I want to talk about high-functioning leadership teams. High-functioning teams don't just happen by chance. They're carefully constructed. And it is one of the top things that a CEO has to get right to be a high-performing company. When I look back on what drove my success as the CEO of Nutrisystem, I'm particularly proud of the leadership team that I put in place and how we engaged with each other. Our five key tenets that drove our success as an executive team were trust and respect for one another, clear roles and accountabilities, healthy debate and the right to challenge, collaboration, and no alliances or politics. First, we acknowledged the diverse skill sets and personalities around the table, and we had a high degree of respect for each other's roles and points of view. Roles and accountabilities were clear, and those who were accountable had the decision-making authority, but were also encouraged to consider other perspectives. Once a decision was made, we moved forward as a team. We never back-channeled. Our leadership culture was one of healthy debate and constant challenging the status quo and each other. We debated everything until someone called Elmo, which means enough, let's move on. 
Except in extreme situations, you rarely heard anyone pull rank, which has the impact of shutting down conversations. We were passionate, intense, and at times talked over one another, but we also listened hard to each other, processed what others were saying, and knew that we were in it together and aligned on achieving the best outcomes for the company and our team. We also encourage the executive team to walk the halls and have discussions with people at all levels of the organization, even outside of their own functions. Our CFO often would sit down with the marketing folks and offer his insights on marketing, and our CMO would provide analytical input and color to our financial team. No one was territorial. Where we had silos, we worked hard to break them down, and where there was tension, we addressed it head on. And finally, we set forth a culture that was amazingly devoid of politics and alliances. We were a team that was there for each other and counted on each other to do some pretty amazing things. Truly, one of the things I am proudest of as a leader. Thank you. I'm Don Zier here for CEO Watch. Have a great week. Since 1858, Mount St. Joseph Academy has been educating girls to be leaders, founders, and independent thinkers. Students are taught to be collaborative, courageous, compassionate, confident, and spiritual. In this student-centered environment, the young women are transformed by recognizing their own potential and are encouraged to use it to make a difference in the world. To learn more about Mount St. Joseph Academy, go to www.msjacad.org or call 215-233-3177. That's msjacad.org or 215-233-3177. Welcome back. I'm having a wonderful conversation with Delphine O'Rourke, who is a partner at Dwayne Morris, an international law firm, and she's based here in Philadelphia. Um, we're going to learn a little bit more about the firm itself later in the show. Um, we got cut off before the break, and you were going to share a nice personal story about a struggle you had as a young girl, which I think is always important um, when we are sharing our life story, both professional and personal. And, and, you know, and this is sort of a, a professional struggle. It's, you know, it's it's not a sort of existential. So I'll just, you know, co- put that caveat. Um, so when I, less so now, but as a child, if I got excited or any kind of emotion or happy or had caffeine or you name it or got nervous, my neck would turn bright red and visibly so. And it would stop at my chin so it wasn't like my entire face, like it wasn't just blushing. It was this this like neck that would turn red. So, of course, kids would make fun of me and laugh at me. And even before I started speaking, they'd say, are you going to turn red and you look like a dragon? You know, all these like <laughs> awful things that kids say to you. Right. So what happens? You Your fear, your anxiety increases even more to the point where, you know, go through high school I'm at Georgetown, and I'm picking classes based on the classes that don't have any oral presentation, only paper. Avoiding it at all costs. Okay, at all yeah. costs. Yeah. And then when the professor would say, oh, and by the way, we're going to do have a final presentation, like, you know, the anxiety. I mean, to the point where my parents were like, ooh, that's not good, you know, <laughs> and I'd wear like black turtlenecks. And I mean, it was like crippling. But then at the same time, I knew I wanted to be a lawyer, so at some point I was like, okay, I need to reconcile this because I can't be terrified of speaking in public, yet at the same time, I, you know, want, be aspirational and want to be a lawyer. 
So fast forward, I still have this anxiety. And, the, you know, the good thing is that adults are slightly nicer. So they're, they don't make fun of you at the meeting. Yeah, after. they don't point and yeah, laugh. They don't yeah. point and laugh. You know, they, they might afterwards say, you know, what's up with her? Um, but at the meeting, they don't stare at you and laugh and, you know, and tell you that you look like a dragon. Um, <laughs> but, you know, I go through law school. I'm practicing in a firm. I get a job as, you know, general counsel of a health system. And I'm still... It's still a major issue for me. And like I'm wearing turtlenecks in the summer when I have to present like and because you asked me how old was I when this when I was finally like this is getting ridiculous. Um, I think I was like 33. And I said, but, okay. it's a tr- but it was a trigger. See, this is the thing I think that what ties if it happens to you as a child and you can be an adult and, and, and there's a trigger, it's going to happen. Oh, yeah, because it's like it's sub it's beyond. It's those it's, like, yes. And I think what's, what I find sort of share that story is we all have triggers that go back to our childhood where then we have these disproportionate reactions. Right. And it's not, you know, giving a three minute presentation at a meeting shouldn't trigger that. But it's all the baggage that you bring in with it and right. where you then start making decisions based on, you know, I would make decisions around my fear. Yeah. And I was, you know, people would invite me to speak and I'd give an excuse as to why I couldn't speak. You know, I mean, the real reason was, hey, because I've got this fear of public speaking. And then I was like, okay, I've got to stop. This is getting ridiculous. And I said, okay, I'm, what do you do when you're afraid of something or when you don't know how to do it? You do it over and over and over again until was, you can do it. That's brave, though. That's brave. The thing that is, you know, worrying me the most, I'm just going to do it constantly. But, you know, eventually I figured, you know, I don't know, like, you got to do it. Yeah. You know, yeah. you've got to just do it because this is getting ridiculous and it is getting in the way of opportunities. Right. And that's also at a point where I realized that there was there were opportunities to share. You know, healthcare was changing a lot at that time. And the, you know, the Affordable Care Act and people wanted to know about health care. And I was fortunate to know, you know, something about health care. I was doing policy work and people would say, come and talk to us. Come and talk to the patients. Come and talk to our group about health care. And instead I'm saying, oh, I'm too afraid, afraid to do that. Like, yeah. that's ridiculous. You wanted to contribute your, your, yeah, your knowledge. Like, you yeah. know, I'm going to say, oh, patients, I can't talk to you about the Affordable Care Act and how it's going to impact you. Because when I was a kid, I turned bright red and kids would make fun of me. Like, OK, get over <laughs> it, you know. And I think that get over it, mm-hmm. I say to myself a lot, like, yeah. get over it. What's the worst that's going to happen? You that's know, get over advice. it. It's great advice. And I think that's often you're like afraid to apply for a job. What's the worst thing that's going to happen? They're not. They'll send you a letter and say, you know, thankfully, we're, you know. Thank you for applying. They're going to be kind. They're not going to make fun of you and laugh at you, you know. Um, So I started every opportunity I had to speak. I mean, I called every director at the company and said, you know, I'd like to give a legal update. Can I have two minutes on your on? Just give me two minutes. Little legal update. I'd like to present. I had everybody. And then I started presenting two, three times a week, nonstop, nonstop, to the point where at one point the CEO said, Delphine, let me guess. You'd like to present. (laughs) Okay. We need you here. (laughs) He's like, you know, but anybody would say they'd have a staff meeting and the agenda would be light. They'd be like, okay, I'll call Delphine and I'll know she'll present. Right. 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 Hand up. And and you know what? I realized that I have a like now I love I love engaging. I love speaking. Public speaking is now one of the things that I love doing the most. I love how you turn that around. I really think that that's a great story. 
You know, and, and I was telling my mom the other day, I was like, I'm going to be speaking. I spoke at an event uh, two weeks ago on women in law and diversity. And I said to my mom, I'm going to be there. There are 140 people. And she goes, do you still turn bright red? You know, <laughs> and like for my parents, I'm still this like kid who was like, no, I can't go right. to school. I have to present today. So I mean, here you are on radio and you know, you know, not even thinking about so, it. But I think the thing is, you know, what is holding me back? What is, I mean, you know, what is holding me back in a way that, um, is not productive. It's not good for me. And it's it's getting in the way of me contributing. Yeah. I think, you know, asking that question, what's the worst that can happen is a great question for anybody who's in a moment of second guessing. Um, listen, we're going to take our second sure. break. And when we come back, we're going to talk about the legal profession and women and where things stand. Stay with us for Dr. Marianne Ritchie of Jefferson for your health watch and Fortis Wealth for Finance. We'll be right back. I'm Dr. Marianne Ritchie. Happy New Year, divas. It's January, time for snow and ice. And with the growing number of aging adults, we see a parallel rise in number of hip fractures. First, a fracture is a broken bone. People fall and say, it was just a fracture. Well, fracture means break. A hip fracture. The hip joint is a ball and socket. You can break the round top of the femur, the large bone in your thigh, or the socket where it joins the pelvis. At risk? While older people have weaker bones from osteoporosis, then add unsteady balance, difficulty stepping over obstacles, medicine side effects like dizziness, and it's easier to fall. Symptoms, pain in the groin or the front and side of the upper thigh, inability to walk, swelling or bruising. Recently, my dear friend slipped on her polished floor. She called 911 and was taken to the emergency room. Always call an ambulance. It can be dangerous if someone moves you the wrong way. The ER did x-rays, but they were negative, but it was no cause to celebrate. Sometimes x-rays are negative, so they did an MRI, the best way to find a hidden break, and she had three. We also checked for other trauma like fractures in other limbs or the spine or even bleeding in the brain. Then, after surgery, we start physical therapy quickly to prevent blood clots, bed sores, pneumonia, infection. How can you avoid hip fractures? Well, watch the first step out the door on a cold day. There may be black ice or snow. Be careful going down the driveway to your mailbox. And in the middle of the night, be sure there's a well-lit, clear path to the bathroom. Slide your feet when on a slippery surface. Keep moving. Make a walking schedule. Join a local Y or a club for water aerobics. Healthy diet with enough calcium, vitamin D, and protein. And stop smoking. It can slow healing. Divas, it's 2020. Let this number help you see more clearly and have a 2020 vision about taking care of yourself. If you believe that family, charity, or money is deeply important for the greater good, Fortis Wealth invites you to a highly personalized financial discovery process to help you visualize your financial legacy. It's not for everyone, but if you're willing to invest the time and thought, they can offer advice and strategies to help you accomplish your dreams. Fortis Advisors is a wholly owned subsidiary of Fortis Wealth, an investment advisor registered with the Securities and Exchange Commission. Visit Fortis-Wealth.com today because tomorrow is waiting. Hi, this is Terry. And this is Maggie. And we're from Fortis Wealth. According to Fidelity Investments, the top three financial resolutions each year are saving more money, paying off debt, and spending less. Even though many resolutions are not fulfilled, Fidelity says that more than half of those who made a financial resolution in the last year say they are better off financially. Here are a few resolutions that might be manageable. 
Keep track of spending. Use financial software or an app like Mint.com or Quicken. Knowing where and how you spend will help you cut out unnecessary expenses. Create a budget and stick to it. It may help you find more money to save. If you don't already have one, build an emergency fund of three to six months of income. You can start small, but just start. Any amount can build up over time. The interest rate you pay on credit cards can derail your efforts to save money, so pay them off as quickly as possible. Ask your credit card company if your interest rate can be lowered. Determine if the transfer fees justify the lower interest rate on a balance transfer. This is also a good time to check your credit report. Check your progress towards retirement. If you have a 401k plan, make sure you're contributing enough to take advantage of any match your employer offers. If you're self-employed and have taxable income, you may be able to contribute to a SEP IRA or other retirement plan. If you have earned income, you may also qualify for a traditional or a Roth IRA. Review your insurance and make sure you're adequately covered for health, car, homeowners, or renters. Don't forget disability insurance, especially if you are in your peak earning years. An umbrella policy is important if you have significant assets, and life insurance is essential if you have dependents. Also be cautious about insurance you may not need. Finally, make money a topic of conversation all year long. Discuss your plans and decisions with your spouse or partner. Share your financial knowledge with your children or other family members and encourage everyone to ask questions and discuss financial concerns and insights. Here's to a happy and financially rewarding new year. This is Terry. And this is Maggie. Peace out. My guest this evening is Delphine O'Rourke, and she's a partner with Dwayne Morris, uh, international law firm. Um, and by the way, I should mention that your focus is in healthcare, which is most people are interested in where our healthcare is is headed. There's a lot of um, problems, and you know, there's a lot of issues. And I'm sure that your work around policy and healthcare and where things are going can be sometimes in the weeds, perhaps. But um, we'll talk a little bit more about that later, but I want to talk about um, statistics around women as partners in law firms and the fact that there's only about 15% um, that are partners in law firms. And I want to know why you think that is and um, how is it that you've been able to beat the odds? So That's a great question. And that's a question that I think, you know, every law firm across the country is or should be looking at is why are we not making the kind of progress that the industry would like to see? American Bar Association, for example, has a commission on women in law. There's a lot of work looking at why is there a retention problem? Why do we see that over 50% of law school students are women? When you look at the partner level, to your point, you know, maybe it's average 15. It, it varies, um, but it's it's never, except for, let's say, women-owned law firms, so for the big law firms in the country, that's where it hovers. And why do women leave before they even get to partner? And the simple answer in the, historically has been, oh, because they want to have kids. Well, that's not that's not just the answer, because there are a lot of women who don't have kids who are leaving. And another another phenomenon that we're seeing is women who have been senior partners, who have been partners for 20 plus years who are leaving the profession. So that's not about kids. Mm. And again, great studies that have come out are trying to figure out why. Um, so, you know, many causes, the legal profession is slow to change. We are not a profession that follows trends. We are a profession that's rooted in, you know, what did the document that was drafted 250 years ago say? 
What is the precedent? I mean, that's sort of in our in our culture. It's the fabric of what's been done, making decisions that are um, that are time that are timely, but also, um, you know, will go into the future. So as a profession, we're just slow to change, slow Mm -hmm. to adapt. We've been historically a very male-dominated profession and and continue to be a very male-dominated profession. Um, You know, one of the factors, I would argue, is that, you know, who makes the decisions to hire a lawyer? It's the CFO. It's the general counsel, generally. And when you look at statistics, and there's a great report that was published uh, by the Forum of Executive Women and PwC, for example, in our in greater Philadelphia area called Women in Leadership, that looked not just at women on boards, but women in the C-suite, who are the highest earners. And it hovers around 20%. So when you're thinking about who are you going to call as your lawyer, well, people look at their phone and, oh, it's the people they already know. It's the people they went to college with, they play golf with, you know. So it's to change the legal profession, women's representation. We also have to look at women in leadership generally. One of the big, you know, I think, so in the other part of it is how we're compensated. It's generally a eat what you kill. So it's that kind of constant, got to get new business, got to get new clients, got to, and that's an area where, you know, I'd love to see, and I talked to a lot of women about this topic, women saying, well, I'm not good at marketing. I'm not good at, quote, networking. So therefore, I'm not going to do well in this environment. And to say, let's shift it. Don't think of it as networking where you're just handing out your business cards or, quote, marketing and selling myself. Think about it as building relationships. Because you're going to hire the dentist who you trust. You're going to hire the doctor who you trust. You're going to hire the lawyer who you trust. And how do you trust someone? You trust them because you have a relationship. And women are really good at building strong Mm. relationships. So if we change the paradigm and say, we're actually really good at this, instead of saying, you know what, women aren't good at marketing because that's the current view. One of the big, and I'm actually speaking on this in in March, is I think where we're going to see significant change is clients or clients saying, you know what, I want to have women on our team. I want to have minorities on our team. I want to have different perspectives, not just in the pitch, but who are actually working on my matters. And I think that's going to really move the needle right. in in marketing, in um, you know, getting women on those interesting hot deals, which then translate to advancement within the legal profession. Do you think women struggle with um, touting their own success? In other words, it's important, really, in any profession, when you're doing things and you're succeeding, that you let people know about it, right? And women tend to only want to speak up or, um, you know, the networking thing is, Am I helping someone? And I think that sometimes women don't understand that that touting their success, talking about their accomplishments, here's what I've I've done, is going to help someone else. So when they switch that that um, perspective in their mind, it might help them put themselves out there more. Oh, d- definitely. And we say, you know, women struggle. Well, women struggle because the view of women is then you come off as arrogant, then you come off as bragging, you come off as, and those are negative characteristics. Mm -hmm. Well, I do think if a man's, I mean, I say I have two sons, like they're the level of self-confidence and like they just show up and they think, (laughs) you know, and they're not alone, like they're little buddies, they're eight and 10, they just show up. 
You know, women feel like they have to meet all the criteria and they have to excel before they even apply. Right. And and then if we say, hey, I just closed this, you know, $200 million deal. Oh, who does she think she is? You know? Yeah. Um, you know, and there's there's a lot. It's like, you know, I'll share a story with you. So um, I, I there's a female partner at our firm and she's senior and somebody said, you should get to know her. You know, she was really a leader. So I asked her out for lunch. I said, hi, I'm, you know, I'd like to have lunch with you. And then we were chatting and she said, oh, you should really meet so-and-so because she's like you. She's aggressive. And then she said, oh, I'm so sorry. Wow. Which she meant to say she's aggressive. Interesting. And I said, I "I am aggressive and I'm okay with that. Well, or is confident a better word? I mean, confident. And this was in a sort of a marketing perspective but if you describe male and say, well, he's really aggressive. He's in a you know aggressive lawyer, aggressive salesperson. It would That's be a, a go-getter. It, yeah. And she thought she had insulted me. And mm-hmm. I said, no, I'm going to own it. So to your point, confident would be better, mm-hmm. driven. But all those words have such baggage. That's right. Yeah, that's right. Um, we're going to go into our last break. Stay with us for Mary Manzo of Pathways Consulting for our Tech Watch. We'll be right back. Introducing Pathways Consulting Group, a company that will align your IT needs with your business goals. Pathways is a full-service ServiceNow partner. What does that mean? It's simple. Pathways will collaborate and design, develop, and deploy solutions for your company today that will define tomorrow. Pathways will provide world-class enterprise service management solutions. Pathways Consulting Group. They listen. They care. They execute. Go to PathwaysCG.com. That's PathwaysCG.com. This is Joe Krause of Krause's Coats, inviting you to donate a slightly worn coat or jacket and help veterans in need stay warm this winter go to krause's coats on facebook and join martin law the law firm for workers to help those who served have a happy holiday now the women to watch tech watch hi i'm mary manzo from pathways consulting group in 2019 we saw for the first time a record number of diverse women serving in u.s congress announcing their candidacy for president of the united states That certainly shows progress. However, did you know that of the 12.3 million women U.S. entrepreneurs who founded companies, access to capital is minimal? According to Forbes, for a second year in a row, only 2.2% of investor funding went to women-led startups. In a tech-driven economy, it's mind-blowing that this obstacle exists and continues to be a challenge. According to Craig Newmark, founder of Craigslist and Craig Newmark Philanthropies, the tech world needs the perspective of more women if we're going to tackle some of the biggest challenges impacting us. This means that a lot more than 2.2% of investor money needs to go to women-led startups. And we have an opportunity and an obligation to start setting the record straight, considering how studies show that tech companies led by women have a 35% return on investment. I agree. Did you know that a lack of women in technology can lead to a decrease in performance and profits, creating a missed opportunity for businesses? Studies show that gender diversity leads to better performance. It's called collective intelligence. In other words, when you add women to a group, their presence leads to a higher collective intelligence, which in turn strengthens the group's ability to solve problems, build solutions, and come up with ideas. Higher gender diversity teams not only enjoy better returns, but companies that adopt gender diversity could more likely outperform companies that don't. If you're going to increase the amount of women in the tech industry, we have to start considering how we change our approach and encourage investors to rethink the minimal 2.2%. 
I'd like to hear your opinion on this topic. Email me at mary at pathwayscg.com. Delphine, just before the break, we were talking about confidence in women, and it's always interesting, um, the words that we choose that mean one thing for a woman and something else for a man, and um, you shared a, you know, wonderful story about meeting a woman, and um, her respecting your aggressiveness, but she cut herself off. Yeah, I don't know. And, yeah, yeah. yeah, I don't <laughs> want to use that word, but it is, I think, men, it would be, he's such a go-getter. So I think, you know, I, I'm glad you shared that story, and I want women to own their success and understand that in doing so, they are helping other women, right? So they shouldn't hold back. Uh, one of the questions I had for you was why healthcare? You, you know, as an attorney, you could go into a lot of different fields. Why your um, specific interest in going into healthcare? Um, sure. So I did not choose healthcare. I chose, I think, an opportunity. And I thought I wanted to be an international criminal lawyer and prosecute war criminals. That's what I wanted to do. Wow. That's what, which I could see you doing. I mean, I was, you know, I, I <laughs> was sort of that. obsessed with crime and wow. international crime. And because, you know, you said international experience. I mean, I remember going to like murder trials, you know, in high school. There's a lot of, you know, organized crime in the south of France. And I was just fascinated by it. And, you know, I was also very interested in foreign policy. I went to Georgetown, the School of Foreign Service. Then I worked for the Council on Foreign Relations on Foreign Policy and, you know, had the opportunity to work on on the on the tribunal for Bosnia, you know, when they're setting up a tribunal to prosecute the war criminals. And um, I work for an amazing scholar woman who was really my first, um, you know, advocate sponsor. I mean, she changed my life. And I went to Columbia because Columbia had a really strong international human rights program. And they, you know, and they accepted me. And I took intern- I took criminal law courses. I mean, that's what I wanted to do. And, you know, it just, it wasn't connecting. It was almost like emotionally too much for me. It was, you know, I'd spend, I remember spending like three weeks on this project on Cambodia and genocide in Cambodia. And I was like, this is, this is beyond depressing. I just can't oh, handle too it. Too heavy. Too heavy, yeah. you know. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, then I was working for a law firm. I was doing international arbitration. You know, just fast forward, there was an opportunity. And I think that's a lesson. Um, a partner came into my office and said, this other partner um, is no longer going to work for this client. Like overnight, there's an issue that had been occurred. And there's a board meeting tomorrow and no one else is available. So it wasn't like you're amazing, but it was no one else is available. And we know that you can talk. You know, I can I'm an extrovert. So they knew at least I could go to a board meeting and and not be completely awkward and cover the board meeting. They needed someone. (laughs) okay. and instead of being insulted, I was like me, me, I'm on it. Okay. I knew it was a big client. I knew the guy before. I knew there was something off. Like I never quite got what his deal was. And I thought I'll do it. And what's again, what's you know, when you say what's your mantra, what's the worst that can happen? Mm. Uh, I mean, are they going to fire us as as our lawyers because, you know, I went to one board meeting and didn't speak? You know, what's the worst thing? How about happen? if you do you ever worry? I won't have the answer. Totally. I worry about that all the time. Yeah. You know, and somebody asked me that the other day. If you present somebody in the audience asks you a question, I said, OK, well, now there are little tricks that I use, you know, when I really don't have the answer. You know, let's talk about that offline or 
whatever it is to give myself some time. Of course, I was nervous. I was beyond nervous. But I thought this is an opportunity. Mm. They didn't say who's the superstar. You know, they're like, OK, she can. And after that one board meeting, the client said, I want her. And they were a healthcare company. They were a health system. And I knew nothing about healthcare, but I knew the law. And I started studying and I'd study at night and I went to conferences and I figured I can learn this. And you did become interested in it as well, right? It was like love at first sight. Mm. It was like, you know, when you say like, what's your passion? All of a sudden it was like, yeah, it was like love at first sight. And I became completely engrossed in sort of provider side of healthcare, and and I love it. Is there something you can share with us, um, our listeners, as as lay people? I'll say we're all concerned and interested in where healthcare is going yeah. in the U.S. Any positives you can share with yeah. us? Yeah, you know, so so what I do is I work with hospitals, I work with health systems, I work with associations that are looking at issues such as access to healthcare. You know, it's not just about how you pay for it. It's also how you get in. Mm -hmm. We all have called the doctor's office and he can't get in for nine months. Right. You know? Yes. Um, And then what kind of care we get. And, um, you know, we are seeing there's been this whole health care debate, regardless of which side you're on, has shown a light, a spotlight on the challenges. We have the most amazing care in our country, but not everybody has access to that care. So really shone a light on these are issues we need to address. Do we have all the solutions yet? But, you know, rural hospitals are closing. You know, that's a problem. What are we going to do about it? You know, we have maternal death rates, women having babies in the United States in certain states that are on par with third world countries. We need to fix that. Are we bringing all the right key people together now? Okay, so. So when you talk about terms like population health, it's looking at populations and saying not just, you know, patient A, B, or C, but saying, what is your zip code? How is that going to impact your health status? Because if you're not healthy, you can't enjoy your family. You can't enjoy your spiritual life. You can't enjoy your professional life the same way. Mm. You have two boys. (laughs) I do. You have two boys. And I always am interested in when my guests have children, um, what it is that they are hoping for those young people when they think about their future and they're exploring um, what field they're going to go into. And specifically, since you have boys, I love the fact that they're watching you and learning by your example as a woman and a mother um, having a successful career. You know, so I say to them in jest, anything as long as it's not illegal, um, you know, but really, <laughs> and they're like, ah, you know, but I said, be happy. You know, it's such, everything goes by so quickly. Does that mean I, I love my job 100% every day? No, no one's going to, you know, but be happy and find something that works for you. You know, know yourself and Find something that works for you and, 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 and you do your best at it. And we have this conversation around grades. Do your personal best. You know, we're, at the end of the day, whether you succeed or fail, you said, I did my personal best, you know, and I did my personal best and I was a good person to those people around me. And I do share with them, I believe in karma. You know, it's a small world and you mm. need to treat people the way you would like to be treated 
and just do your personal best. What, I know that you do some mentoring. You have mentees and mm-hmm. young women. Um, when you meet with them, what is the, the number one thing you hope they will walk away with that they will implement in their own lives as they're pursuing their careers? So I, I'll have to give you two. Okay, good. What's the worst that can happen? That's okay. the thing. Go for it. What's the worst that can happen? I mean, I'm having lunch with one of my mentees, um, you know, in a couple days. She's going to an amazing law school that she would have never applied to. So go for it. You know, go for it. What's the worst that can happen? And don't worry so much about what other people think of you. I, I spent way too much time worrying mm. about that. You know, that's 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 time not well spent. Believe in yourself. And again, just go for it. Yeah. I, you know, I think as we get older, we're able to let go of caring what other people think. But I would love to see young people be able to do it as well. I still do it. And I'm like, what are you doing? But then you, you know? cut it off. You, you got to cut it off. You got to cut it off. Go for it. Listen, I am so appreciative of your coming in and sharing your story today, Delphine. Um, and I hope you have a great 2020. You too. And I love what you do. Thank you. That's it, everyone, for another week of Women to Watch here on Talk Radio 1210 WPHT. Thank you so much to my sponsors and advertisers for helping me to bring you the real story behind her title. Have a great week, everyone. Thanks for listening to Women to Watch with Sue Rocco, a Jacob Media production. If you're interested in learning more about the power of the radio hour, contact Joe Kraus at 267-261-3428. This program is a paid commercial announcement and in no way represents the views of WPHT or its management.